should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because the New York Times refuses to publish our opinion piece about how no one likes us. <laughs> my name is Kevin and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who needs your support because he's quitting his job to pursue his dream of being one of the guys that carries around those big skewers of meat at a Brazilian steakhouse. That was too long. It was too long. Benedict! And I would also like to I would also like to point out that I am not in fact quitting my job. So Is there a name for those people? No. Yes, waiters. <laughs> I was assuming it'd be something Portuguese, but okay. <laughs> Benedict, <laughs> what's a song you got on repeat these days? Oh, good question. Um, not sure. Let me let me open my Spotify. By who? Who is that by? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not sure by Ben. Um, let me let me open my music library. Oh, fine. We have to sit here. Well, you try and figure out what music you like. Yeah. This is entertaining radio. Benedict. Yeah, no, it is. You're right. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for these affirmations. Why don't yep. you tell the listeners yours right now? Mine, Benedict, because I have good taste, is the Dua Lipa Elton John mm. Cold, Hole, Cold Cold Heart remix. Gotcha. Uh, which is a fucking banger. A yep. banger. Yep. That's so many enough. times. So many times I played that. Um, just on repeat. Just, I just kills it. have... I've got uh, got some Jacob Banks on repeat, chain smoking. All right, you fucking suck. Anyways, Benedict, this is the show, mm. you know, some don't. Where we go, deep, 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 plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter of a work of conservative nonfiction. In between, we take a look at another example of the right doing the best to make America hate again. Benedict. See, you agree that that's too long now, because that's like the third <laughs> time you've done that, and that you've done done the speed read, so I'm well, glad... Well, I know how I'm long our episode you... is going to be yeah. today, and how mad you're going to be yeah. about me about saving it. Saving time wherever you can. Benedict, do you have a hot take to start us off this I week? I do, and it's all furniture. It fucking sucks. I'm trying to buy <laughs> one table and two chairs to fill this the, the much bigger space that I've moved into, <laughs> and we just, we hate everything. Like, everything well, is maybe like... maybe if you just went to restorationhardware.com... <laughs> Now, while Kevin very kindly, ladies and gentlemen, bought me a nice gift card for a housewarming gift, um, Mm -hmm. which is very kind, but also it's like a, I think I've said this before, but it's like a, it's like a bougie, um, bougie SAT problem. Shut the fuck up. Everyone loves Williamson. No, that's true. But it's like, how do you spend however much you sent me, which I won't embarrass you by saying, but it was quite a lot, um, without then spending a further $750 because everything costs like $1,500. We, we call that the Costco problem. Yeah. Where it's impossible to leave without spending over $100. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's that's the problem I'm running into and everything is too expensive and also kind of sucks. <laughs> but that's fine. What about you? What's your hot take? My hot take, Benedict, this week, Florida can suck it. Okay. Um, we've, we've seen a rash of <laughs> Why? terrible legislation. Why specifically this time? All across the country. Uh, well, because I was recently uh, t- thinking about moving there when my time is done in St. Louis. Oh, really? Um, because I really think from now on, I only really want to move to red states mm. so that I can vote against shitbags. Like, I want my vote to feel like it counts. Yeah. And I want to be in a place where I can provide some good 
and, you know, try and help. Um, but also, this week, of course, uh, they shoved through their don't say gay bill. Mm. Uh, and, you know, they're massive, massive fucking pieces of shit. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've, I've never, like, said it on the show, but I'm a member of the LGBTQ community. Mm. Uh, I'm a bisexual man. I've never said that on the show. Benedict knows it. My friends know it. Uh, but, you know, it's my community. They're fucking attacking, and these mm. people can go fuck themselves. I'm also aware I'm the most straight-passing man on the planet, yes, and there's a great amount of true. privilege I have from that. And the fact that I have, for most of my life, been very, very familiar and very experienced in, you know, Hiding the fact that <laughs> I am part of that community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Florida can go fuck itself, uh, is the, the main... I'm not moving to Florida anymore, is the, the core of that, uh, that thing. Uh, I, de- I decided Florida can, can go fuck itself. I'll find uh, another shitty state to go... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was, like, isn't, isn't the point of being in a red state to vote to overturn that shit, though? Like, if that's, it, your, if that's it, your goal? Like... Is, it just... It feels like it's not a safe place to yeah, be anymore. That's fair. Like that's Texas, Florida, these states are actively trying to make themselves unsafe unless you're a white Christian nationalist conservative. Yeah, I feel like that's like, true the, of most of the real it's it's very aggressive. So uh, you know, very, very worrying. Anyways, Benedict mm-hmm. What's on your bookshelf this week? On my bookshelf this week, as you know, is The Cruelty is the Point by Adam Sower, which, uh, ah, which you just bought for it? me yesterday. <laughs> Kevin did a very subtle, have you read this book yet? And I went, oh no, but I've been really wanting to read it. And then the next, like the next day it showed up at my door. So to be so fair, I, I had hit the order button before asking you whether you would read, because I know you're a huge Adam Sower yeah, fan. Yeah, like, you bring him up all the time. All the time. Whenever you and ask you love quoting him on that quote. The yeah, Cruelty the Cruelty is, is the Point. It's a good fucking quote. <laughs> Right, right. I know you're a fan, and I was like, oh, okay, because I, I remembered recently that his book had come out, mm-hmm. I don't know, a couple months ago or something at this point, um, and I was like, oh, I'll get Benedict the book, and then I was like, I wonder if he's already got it, so you're I, lucky, I actually, reached out. I, I would I, have uh, canceled the order yeah, yeah. if I, you said you had already I read ne- it. I nearly bought it, like, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, I saw it on the shelf, and I was like, oh, I'll come back for that um, another time, but then, so now I have it, and I don't have to, so thank you. Now you have it. Now you have it. Now <laughs> um, you have to... Give us a report on it. Yeah, or I something. Guess. Yeah, sure. I, guess. I can do that. Yeah, um, you can tell us how good it is. Yeah, I will do. What about you? What's on your bookshelf? My bookshelf this week, Benedict, is *The Steel* Ooh. by Mark Bowden and okay. Matthew Teague. Uh, it's a book just about all the attempts to overturn the 2020 election, mm-hmm. um, and like going into the detail of like who was making what claims and what they were saying in court, and how the judges ridiculed them. And it's very near and dear to my heart because. I, you know, as a lawyer, it's always interesting to see dumbass lawyers like Sidney Powell uh, do this insane bullshit, and Linwood and all those others who were involved. So I very much have been following all that stuff closely. And nobody's put out, like, a real concise, like, here's what everyone was doing. And to be fair, there was so much going on, so much bullshit flying, it's hard mm-hmm. to cover all of it. Uh, but these guys did a good job of putting a lot of it into print. Uh, and I just found it really enjoyable to follow along with all the bullshit. And it's great if you, like, if you want to get into argument with your dumb uncle, uh, who's probably going to still throw out these obviously debunked nonsense mm-hmm. things at you uh they cover a lot of that sort of stuff so if you want if you want that it's there for you it's a great book check it out okay anyways benedict on to housekeeping remember to rate and review us on the itunes and the plays and the stitchers and all the places where you can leave the stars follow us on the social medias at nygbcpod on twitter and we have some updates and benedict. me 
NYC and, BC yeah, band uh, or whatever. Fuck, whatever I you are. Know. If you would have just done the right handle. You don't even remember I what the right handle I would have cared enough is. to remember. Or if you would open up our Google Doc and put it in there. Oh, yeah, I could do that. that. I, I haven't opened our Google Doc in months. <laughs> I know. You never do. I just remember everything. It hurts. Except it hurts to write feelings. the things, and then I have to panic and do it last minute. But Benedict, there's a member of our uh, menagerie mm. of supervillains, our coterie of villains, if you will, uh, Dennis Prager. Mm. We never talked about getting COVID on purpose. Um, oh, yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. It was brought up to me the other day. I think I was like, it's one of those times where I was we going through old briefly. stuff. I think we mentioned it briefly. Maybe we did, but he was going around like saying he was trying to get it on purpose so he could get that natural immunity. Mm-hmm. And then that he was going to take ivermectin and it would make everything okay. And he was like, immediately before he announced he was infected, he was out at some fucking Republican rally with, you know, putting arms around people and probably infected a bunch of people. But it just made me laugh when uh, that I was reminded of that the other day. The other update this week, Benedict, probably more important, mm. is that I have come across possibly the greatest book ever written. I know I say that a lot, mm. uh, but this uh, this one made a little bit of a splash on social media the other day. And friend of the show, Morgan Stringer, and personally my favorite guest that we ever have on, uh, sort of forced me mm. into buying a copy of this book and to us now doing this book. And that is Ladies First, the MAGA hat romance novel, um, which I just received today. It is spectacular. It is less than 100 pages. Great. <laughs> and uh, Morgan's going to come on and do it. And this also means we're going to be pushing back once again the beginning of our dive I'm to get into the, feeling the Libertarian that you don't really series. I want to do the, the Libertarians. I, you know, this is the thing is I really want to do the Libertarian series, but shit keeps coming uh-huh. up. Um, and so uh, Morgan's going to be coming on with us to do some of the MAGA hat romance novel, maybe Great. all of it. I don't know. It's short, so it, at the very least, hopefully it'll only take an episode or two, I think. We'll see how it goes. Benedict, by the way, there's also a copy on the way to your house. Amazing. So an eye Love open. that. Good we'll stuff. We'll keep an eye open for that. So <laughs> we're going to be doing that. We're going to be pushing back the libertarian thing again. I know. You're all disappointed. I'm disappointed. But... I sort of couldn't turn this down. It did so. We've never done a fiction book. It That's was true. sort yeah, of I like think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. I felt like we sort of had to try it out. So, anyways, Benedict, other things this week: additions to the Spooky World New World Order. We have one this week, and you know, uh, this one was reached out, and I have to say there was some confusion based off of I think what Benedict said last week. Mm. Benedict said that any animal can be inducted. Now. That is true. Mm. But you also have to do something to get your animal inducted. Mm. And this person, to be fair, Taru Takanen, mm-hmm. has been a longtime patron mm-hmm. and last week did make a donation to a cause for Ukraine, which yeah, is one so of my things. Fine. I said, if you do that, you'll get him to Spooky World New World Order. Mm-hmm. She then, after we had inducted her into the Spooky World New World Order, which again, you've been inducted to every week, reached out and asked if we would induct her cat, Gabriel. Which, yes, of course we will. But only for... Taro Cannon. if you want to do that, you have to actually do something. Oh, yeah. You have to, you yeah, have to yeah, do yeah, one yeah, of no. the things. Yeah, yeah. To get Gabriel is highly qualified for the spooky new world. Order, uh, obviously, as, obviously. As, as a kitty cat, as Taro so, pointed out. <laughs> yeah, I, I did enjoy that. That was the, uh, the qualification. But, as I said, Gabriel, cat of, of the pod, now inducted into our... New World Spooky World Order. 
Welcome. Thank you so very much, oh, wow, Gabriel, you managed for to being a cat. Out. You managed to figure uh, out how to not make it go nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I, it's by me clicking pause Congrats. at the very yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Uh, but of course, if you or your animal would like to be inducted into the Spooky World New World Order, which you can do every week, a tweet or post about the show on social media, recommending it to others, send me a screenshot, tag us, whatever you want to do. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can. Drop me a screenshot to let me know that you did it. Become a patron or, you know, get my attention with something good and I'll induct you into the Spooky World New World Order. But that it! Mm-hmm. All that out of the way. All this week, way. we are back to our book review of American Marxism by Mark Levin. Guy who probably owns multiple white Mark. sheets hanging up in his closet. Mark what? Um, he's a he is a white supremacist. No, no, that I understand. The, the but what's his name? Mark Levin. Yeah, that's Levin. Correct. I correct. apologize yeah. for not giving a fuck about this asshole's name. Benedict, as I do whenever we do a chapter of Mark Levin's book, uh, I have I, a clip look, for us. I don't think this is necessary today. It's already a really long mm, it's chapter. It's pretty necessary, okay, Benedict. Right, it's pretty quick. necessary. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You get to take your pick, though. We have two okay. clips. Um, uh, one, which one? One or two. Which one, one is shorter? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. Ah, fuck. I choose the shorter one. Uh, you can't do that. Mm, just did. Um, okay. One or two. Two. Two, two, two. two. Number two, Benedict. Uh, number, clip number two. This is from the end of February, I believe okay. the 28th. Uh, and this is, um, we remember the last clip we heard of him. He was talking about MSNBC's Tiffany Cross, who he had never heard of. Well, he's talking about her again. Well, he was obsessed. talking about Luis Gutierrez. Yep, yep. And also Tiffany Cross, who okay. he said was an idiot. I forgot. Yep. Okay. Actually, Andrea is an American Marxist, in my humble opinion. What? <laughs> I think that's. Alejandria Casio cortez uh, He said Andrea? Yeah. I don't know. It's possible. I don't know if he was maybe talking about somebody else, but I, my impulse is that he was... Okay. Or maybe he's talking about Andrea Mitchell, because he's talking sure. about media personalities. I don't know. Who the fuck knows? Everyone's a Marxist, this sure. asshole. Yep. But she sucks up to the Democrats. She mm. spews the Democrat line. But you know, it's actually Trump's fault mm. that Putin invaded Ukraine. You know how we know this? Sarah Kenzior, Kenzior, a PhD, was on MSLSD, and she said so. So it must be. And she's on the Tiffany Cross show. Who's Tiffany Cross? A racist, bigot, no talent buffoon. Okay. And I say that with all due respect. Ah, yes, all due respect. <laughs> all due respect. God damn it. Tip, rumble, cut eight, go. With okay, that's better than go ahead. That's better than go ahead. <laughs> Tip, rumble, cut eight, go ahead. That's fantastic. Is the uh, right-wing extremist having an entire network to there espouse There you go, these... that's Tiffany. Hey, that's Tiffany Ross. Okay, he got through what? Ten, uh, uh, three seconds. quarters of a second? Maybe, yeah. Three quarters of a second of the clip he was playing before he yeah. had to interrupt? Yes, there she is. Right-wing extremists have an entire network. That phrase by itself means nothing. Yeah. But he's upset about Also, it. they do. It's Fox News. Yeah. <laughs> and he's on it. Yeah. Schmuck, go ahead. Extremist beliefs and supporting uh, essentially an enemy of the United States. What does that mean for us? Supporting because an enemy of the United States. Wait a minute. I thought critical race theoreticians like her hated the United States. No, that's what, what? you These say. These people are really schizophrenic or worse. Well, that's that right there is something you see all the time, which is when they are confronted by someone on the left not yeah. living up to their stereotypes about them, 
It's that they're, you know, they're schizophrenic or they're hypocrites or whatever the case might be. Flat out liars and morons. They hate. Or flat out liars and morons. Sure. Hate America. How many ways do they have to tell us? Pull the statues down, burn the books, push racism in the classroom, white dominant society, on and on and on. There they go. There they go. And now it's, look at their right wing network. They hate America. You clown. <laughs> You're on the Hate America Network, MSLSD. Go ahead. All right. I just had to let him get at MSLSD a second time. Just, I, Benedict, I don't think I have, and I've listened to many clips of him now, I don't think I've ever heard him actually just say MSNBC. Do you think he I did think when he, he, like, when he first introduced the, like, when he first introduced the, the acronym? Do you think he was like, no, maybe you should call MSNBC MSLSD? Maybe 20 years ago he yeah. did that, possibly, but I just don't know. That was a pretty, oh, that was a pretty good impression that I just did off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, way, yeah very so. good. I'm proud Thank of you. you. Thank proud you. Proud of you. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Anyways, Benedict. This week, as I said, we continue our review of American Marxism. Benedict, what did we read Well, this week? Kevin, I'm glad you asked. Um... This week we read chapter two, Breeding Mops, which <laughs> Mark Levin uses to quote good arguments from the other side and then not refute them. No. I mean, this this chapter is basically a giant block quote. It is, yeah. Inters- yeah, yeah I, I, I would love to, to take the time and go through here and like Count figure the out words how much of this... quotes versus original writing. Yeah, or... just percentage wise, how much is quotes he's taken from other people and how much is just. I you would know, say, the, the like, it's got to be like 50 50, I would say. Mm, I think a little less. I think it's a little bit more on the side of quotes from other people. He, the, the the first few pages, well, the first few pages are him quoting himself, to be fair. So I don't know whether that quotes, I don't know whether that counts as the quoting other people or Yes, his own yes, words. that's true. But Benedict, do you have an alternate chapter title Yes, I do. Week? It's uh, Nostromarchus. <laughs> he, keep, he keeps saying, as I wrote in my book 10 years ago. I'm going to stop Very doing good. the voice now, but, you know, he's... He it hurts he the throat. I it hurts the throat that. after a while. He, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he... This is why he's so angry all the time. He has a permanent <laughs> sore throat. Um, yeah, so he keeps he keeps bringing up the idea that he he, he presaged everything that's happening in his book on... Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's... I think that's the real core of this book. The real thesis is... I told you so. I am a, a prophet who predicted yeah. this all long ago. I told you so. Um, yeah, cool. What about you? What's your alternate chapter? My alternate chapter title this week is Breeding Mobs, but as a noun. <laughs> <laughs> Breeding wasn't Mobs. That, wasn't that my joke from like six weeks ago I when I first got the book? I think it might have been, but you know what? When I opened up the book last night, I couldn't stop giggling over Breeding Mobs as a noun. <laughs> I think I texted that to you, like, when I first received the book, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for finding it so funny that you've brought it up again two months later. Hey, if if it is, then it's a hat tip to you. Thank you. Hat tip. Thank you. Uh, Whatever he fucking said. Go ahead. Anyways, Benedict. This chapter begins with, quote, Almost a decade ago, and before Antifa was widely known and Black Lives Matter, parenthetical BLM, Mm. was established, I wrote a mass movements of mass movements in my book Ameritopia in the framework of utopianism. Utopianism, whether in the that form of Marx, doesn't make sense. By the way, no. just no. rereading no. it now, that like there, there are prepositions in there that are in the wrong place. 
Utopianism, whether in the form of Marxism, fascism, or some other form of autocratic statism, ah, is yes, alluring the only to options. <laughs> yeah. Because at their core, they make glorious claims of a paradisiacal future. Mm. Paradisiacal? Paradisiacal, I think. Yeah, sure. And the perfectibility of man. Is it, like, only... this, is, this is so funny to me, coming from like Love America Inc., which is like shining, oh, yeah. shining city on the hill and talking about like well, the, Benedict, the mythology are... of society. Like... That is not a utopian movement, you no. see, because they don't believe that there is a future utopia we could achieve. They believe that we currently live we in, it in the perfect and nothing society. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, Sorry, 1780. Seven. Whenever, <laughs> whenever the Constitution was ratified, you had to take that on the citizens' test. That's you right. No, that's right. Uh, but so yeah, he starts off there, and I just I wanted to point out that he gives the BLM in parentheticals, even though he's already done that in the last chapter, and mm. he will, I think, keep doing that, like saying black, like Black Lives Matter, and giving the BLM. Through, I've seen it. I think as I was flipping through uh, later chapters, he still does that. Yeah. I don't think he realizes you only have to do it once. It's probably because he wrote the chapters at vastly different times. Also, then, yeah, yeah, also probably very true. He continues, quote, I explained further that mass movements attempt to devour the individual in two ways. Consume his identity and uniqueness, thereby making him indistinguishable from the masses, in scare quotes, mm. but also assigning him a group identity based on race, age, income, etc. to draw class distinctions. Okay, I thought this was interesting. Um... Mm-hmm. Because it's someone who's never talked to an actual leftist. Yeah, that. Like, but also, like that. Like that's not mass movements that do that. That's the default in society. So, yeah. like, it, it, it's just that if you are part of the dominant group, you don't notice that happening. Mm-hmm. So you know, you never have to experience that of being othered in some way, right? So, sure. And, and and mass movements maybe that are trying to change these things say, hey, these people are treated differently than the homogenous group at the center of society or whatever so like i think i think that's like just lack of recognition which is unsurprising but it's also a very long and overdrawn way of saying eh, people try and be kind of like the people they hang out with yeah which <laughs> like... duh <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs> thank you sociology 101 he then continues and i think this is where he starts quoting himself oh, in his at, own at book <laughs> yes at length he is quoting from his own book ameritopia mm-hmm. and he says quote This way, the demagogues and propagandists can speak to the well-being of the people as a whole while dividing them among themselves, against themselves, thereby stampeding them in one direction or another as necessary to collapse the existing society or rule over the new one. And that, to me, is, again, another one of those clues that tells me he actually believes when he says they want to, quote-unquote, destroy America. Mm -hmm. Maybe, but also, like... The other thing I would say is you can say this about mass movements, but all politics is mass movements. Sure. Like it doesn't yeah. have to be like democracy is a mass movement because it's the opinion of the majority. Like, so you can say that about any of this. Like you can say that about America today, right? Like Benedict. this is literally, yeah. We already talked about how this entire chapter is, I know you are, but what am I? It's like, and look, <laughs> the, I, I texted this to you, but it's worth saying again. Like this is like the first 10 pages of this are a brilliant deconstruction of the MAGA movement. But <laughs> it's really not, are. It's just, it doesn't recognize that. And it starts talking about communism, in fact, like, whatever. But it, it's literally just like, anyway, we'll, we'll get to it. I mean, it. no, but just like, this next you, quote he puts in. If you think about what Kevin reads out as he says it, as a, a description of the MAGA movement, 
just have that in your mind as Kevin reads because I think yeah. it's, it's like incredibly it could be incredibly perceptive but is completely lacking in perception yeah like this next quote from his again he's quoting himself in mm-hmm. his previous book Ameritopia quote a receptive audience is found among the society's disenchanted, disaffected, dissatisfied, and maladjusted, who are unwilling or unable to assume responsibility for their own real or perceived conditions, but instead blame their surroundings, the system, and others, immigrants. They are lured by the false hopes and promises of utopian transformation and the criticisms of the existing society, to which their connection is tentative or non-existent. Right? In- Right, no, it's just like, dude, you like literally, you could what, be a sociologist is, writing is, about the rise of the MAGA movement. What in, is Make in America Great Again if not a utopian movement? <laughs> right. like, it's literally in the name. I know it's fucking nuts. And then he skips down and he says this, and like, oh, it's like, oh, writer, know thyself, but he just refuses to. He says, quote. Almost a century ago, the French philosopher and essayist Julian Brenda observed that mass movements form frequently around individuals who share the same political hatred. Mm-hmm. Like, Immigrants. okay. Uh, the, nothing better describes the MAGA movement than yeah. political hatred. Like, what the fuck is lock her up? Yeah. What the fuck is all, build the, the you know, wall. everything. They, yeah. yeah, build the wall. Except hatred. It's fucking, it's just amazing how blind they are to... And and I hate to be that. It's a very easy critique and a very easy slam to be like, nah, dude, you're talking about yourself, right? And it, it's I it yeah, it's a reason it's a that. playground insult. But like, you can't write this and just have no self awareness. Absolutely, there's just there's a complete lack that is so shocking and so striking. It's impossible not to and just the thing keep is, pointing it the, out. The the problem with it is is like again, like this is probably. I mean, this is some of this is academic work, right? So like there there is mm-hmm. legitimate descriptions of how mass movements form in here. But then yeah. if you what you've got to that do, he's citing to be fair, not citing. that he's writing. That no, he's, no, no, he's no. citing block quoting other people who've done yeah, academic yeah. work in, in the in the rest of this chapter. Yeah, but so then what you have to do is to tie that to the movements that you think like his next step should be like this is why that doesn't destru- describe the trump movement because that's the obvious critique or mm-hmm. to be like this is why that's the bernie sanders movement or like the squad or whatever like whoever he wants to tie it to a well good, but it's a preaching writer, to the choir no i and- know i know but I'm just, all i'm saying is a good writer would tie the academic work to the thing that he doesn't like or distance the thing that he does like from the academic principles that he's describing Sure. I, I, I agree a good writer would do that. <laughs> Go ahead. The problem, I think, comes down to our selections quite often yes. when we're talking about what a good writer yes. would yes. do. Yes. Skipping yes. about a page forward, he says, quote, Today, clearly, the Antifa movement is populated with indistinguishable soldiers, in scare quotes, dressed uniformly in black clothing and face coverings. Yeah, because, Their identities... again, the Trump movement is famously doesn't have a fucking uniform of camo yeah. and red hats. Like, you yeah. know, everyone looks really different. Like, they're fucking... I... <laughs> And they're all fucking white. Yeah. <laughs> well... Their identities and names are unknown. They are indoctrinated into a Marxist, anarchist ideology, trained in violence and said to be training camps an idea. Jesus. Obviously, it is more than an idea. It is a dangerous and brutal movement populated by angry zealots. Again, January 6th, bro. Self, Self-reflection. Yeah. BLM is also a Marxist, anarchist movement. However, it has self-identified as a black power or black liberation movement, when in fact... 
its agenda extends well beyond race and into the usual Marxist demands for the destruction of existing society. Yeah, it's and, hard to hard to analyze race without class. Uh, I mean, there is a lot of yeah, race, the, racial the two class are very analysis tied together. Yes. Yeah, but also when he writes there, Black Liberation Movement, that was a giant uh, alarm bell for me. Oh, that's because, that's Black Panther. That's how Black well. Panther so there's about, several right? things. One, I I texted you last night that after reading this chapter, I am now I've moved on from being ninety percent sure to a hundred percent sure that Mark Levin is a white supremacist. Um, and I, I mean that completely unironically. I'm not even joking. I am a hundred percent sure Mark Levin is a white supremacist. Levin, uh, fuck him. Mark fuck him is a white supremacist. McLovin. Also, back to McLovin. That's fine. Yeah, based on other other things I've listened to him say over the last week or so and stuff like he, he's a white supremacist. He just is, and he is not trying to hide it very much. Just just not. But also that phrase "black liberation" that means one thing to you and me and people who actually have read anything about black liberation. Maybe they've they've read some Cornell West in their past. You know those sorts of people. To the right-wing propaganda media machine, it means something differently mm-hmm. entirely. And my most vivid memory of that is back when I was a mechanic and I was driving home from work. I think it was late one day. I like stayed till like 7 or 8 p.m. And I'm driving home and I was listening to Sean Hannity. Mm. And Sean Hannity had on like Tavis Smiley or somebody. Because somebody he had on a lot back in the early days of Obama. Because he could yell over Tavis Smiley and, and pretend he made points. And he just started yelling at whoever this was about... I've read liberation theology. I've led. I've read the Black Liberation Movement papers. I've read all of it, and I know what you really mean. And that's that's the you know uh, they haven't obviously. Sean Hannity's never read anything about fucking Black Liberation. He doesn't have a goddamn clue. But it's something. It's it it was back then a CRT. It was a CRT you could throw out. Mm. And um, for people like Mark Levin. We've seen other hints that Mark Levin is far behind the times as far as where conservative propaganda is currently. He, he's always lagging, right? He's doing the whole, um, with the whole thing with the Franklin School and cultural Marxism. Like, mm-hmm. that went out of vogue a few years ago, but Levin is still pushing it in this book. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just another case where uh, black liberation, that was something he remembers screaming about in the early 2010s, um, and he's put it in this book because he thinks it, it's still fetch. It's still going to happen. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's he thinks it's like Louis Farrakhan, right? Is the, that's yeah. The... No, that's what he thinks. That's, that's absolutely it. That's yeah. like, as soon as they said that, they'd start screaming about Farrakhan. Yeah. And they'd start screaming about the new Black Panthers. And I remember Sean Hannity, one of the lines, he would yell about his ally, something about killing black baby or killing white babies, right? Mm-hmm. Took some, some fucking nobody said something and it was something he would just repeat forever as though that was something anyone gave a shit about, right? Mm-hmm. He continues, though, quote, Of course these movements, like all mass movements, cannot tolerate or survive competing or rival ideas or voices. They demand groupthink and conformity. And we know that Levin's movement accepts both QAnon and crypto-fascist in the ranks, so it's not conformist at all, right? They accept a wide variety of competing... That's right. Everyone's completely different. ...ideas and voices. Continuing... About BLM now. So ubiquitous is the assault on individualism and nonconformism in today's society. <laughs> I just, again, it's fucking, I know you are, but what am I, yeah. dude? Like, if anybody is attacking nonconformism, it's not fucking BLM. Yeah. It's not fucking them, dude. It's goddamn you. Yeah. 
that it has acquired its own modern nomenclature, M dash, the cancel culture. And that's where I was sure he's going <laughs> to stick with funny. the. We noticed <laughs> that in funny. the first chapter. He said the cancel culture. Apparently, he thinks it's like a noun, uh-huh. the cancel culture. Okay. I guess that's what he's sticking with. And he continues on. He t- it's all about propaganda. They use intimidation. They use force. And, you know, they, they try and, and use violence as much as they can to get people to go along with their way. It's yeah, indoctrination. I, th- I thought brainwashing. this was interesting because, I mean, they, they could he could have dovetailed this into an interesting discussion on, like, Weber's state monopoly on violence. And, like, no matter how, like, the, the state will always have the monopoly and will always win. And that's why you don't want a state that's too powerful. No. <laughs> no. Breeze no, right because he doesn't it. believe that. No. Right, there is a, you know, like we've talked about with others that we've we've mentioned, um, you know, I think last week in the Rand Paul Institute episode, we talked about how their supposed small government instincts run up against their support for outright authoritarian fascists, mm-hmm. right? And these people, they talk the talk of small government, but they don't mean small government, right? What they actually mean No, they mean, mean government is, that doesn't touch me. Well, I would even say, like, what they really mean is I just want conservative priorities to be what the government does. Yeah. Like, I want abortion outlawed. I want, uh, you know, low taxes, yada, yada, yada. That's what I actually want to happen. And I want to use the instrument of the state as a weapon against my enemies. But right now, I feel as though mild regulation in the business sphere um, is a weapon being used against me by the state, yeah, which I believe is controlled be. by the left. Yeah, like that's that's what it because they don't give a fuck about how much power the state has. They really don't. There's like five people who are actual libertarians and actually care about the size of the state in our government and in our national politics. Yeah, and they are also idiots, as we talked about, <laughs> but separate differently. My yeah. my uh, my favorite bit of like after all you've just said. There's a, he says, thus, mass movements rely significantly <laughs> on indoctrination and brainwashing, having actually not demonstrated that at all. No, and he says that they're, they're ignited and motivated by intelligentsia or experts. And then he continues on to say. <laughs> In case his are, audience didn't know what the intelligentsia no, was. Yeah, then he continues on. Where are these experts found? As we shall see, primarily among tenured faculty in our colleges and universities. Okay, I guess only people with tenure are the ones we're worried about now. Whose intellectual and emotional fealty are mostly aligned, at least in significant part, with the ideological prescriptions of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, and of course, Karl Marx. Extremely funny. (laughs) You know how there's a huge um, Hegelian trend among Among college faculty these days? You know how popular Hegel is. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> but uh, also like I'm surprised just, he didn't it, it didn't full name Marx too. Do like a little Karl Heinrich. Right. Marx. Like I, I right. He definitely should have. It's really disappointing. But you know, so to some point, like the left ideology is developed to a greater extent in academia, certainly than right wing ideology is. Yeah. Um. You know, like all the books we've ever read have been by know nothings, and you know, I'd compare that to like I read a lot of books that I read for entertainment and, you know, for knowledge that are written by college professors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kathleen Ballou, I think, is one I've recommended recently uh, who writes a lot about white supremacy and things. Like, that's not a book that I think develops an ideology, but I certainly think some of my view about white supremacy and uh, how they operate and how their ideas are formed have been, you know, affected by what I read by Professor Ballou. And I think she's brilliant, by the way. You should definitely check out her books. Um, but, yeah, the, the right just doesn't have that. 
Because even though they have small institutions that they've created just for the purpose of indoctrinating their students, like, you know, those small Christian colleges, nobody gives a fuck what those professors are saying, right? No. You know, at best, you get, like, a Christopher Rufo to come along, and all he's doing is spreading a panic. He's not developing an ideology. He's spreading a moral panic. That's his entire job. Yeah, so. th- there's an interesting uh, dichotomy, I think, of, like, where, I, as you say, where ideology gets developed. And I think, it like, in the on the right, it tends to be in the media, right? That's, like... Yeah. Uh, that's that's my thesis. Uh, yeah. I've been thinking about for a couple weeks now, which is that right wing ideology is developed far more by media, which makes it much much more of a mass movement, right? Like, sure, sure. I think left wing ideology also, to some extent, is developed by media, but they're in different proportions. And I think yeah. it's overwhelmingly that right wing ideology is developed by media. Like, you know, it's it's and because media has its own prerogatives mm-hmm. of selling ads, making money, being popular, you know, ratings, all that kind of stuff. It leads to an ideology forming in a different way than when, let's say, you know, let's say that's 80-20 on the right side, where 80% of their ideology is formed by media. I'm just throwing out numbers here. And on the left, let's say it's even 50-50, right? That is a different mix of incentives that end up driving how ideology is yeah. created um, and throws things way out of whack. Way, way, way out of whack. Uh, to uh, you know, there's something like I've been wanting to sit down and think and write about, but I haven't uh, figured out where to start with it. But anyways, he continues. Moving on, he's now going to tell us all about Rousseau, Hegel, and Marx, and how all those three they were all really just about the collective, and uh, and that's why all of the left, obviously, they're all about Rousseau, Hegel, and Marx. Rousseau that's what it also is. not really super left wing, by the way, like. <laughs> Definitely a more Okay, Hegel's just a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Um, and like, then Marx, by, sure. You can have Marx as a leftist. Yeah, that's why. Right. Sure. Sure. You can definitely have some Marx. Rousseau, I feel like the right always tries to shit on because the Jacobins liked him. They didn't. But like, they hated him. <laughs> like, no, the, the Jacobins liked Rousseau I, and his whole the idea point, of yeah, the, the state. I mean, the, the social contract, yes. But like, he yeah, was fundamentally a conservative thinker. Like, Sure. <sighs> it's, just, it's just weird, man. And like... If you do a political science undergrad like I did, you end up reading The Social Contract at some point. I could not remember off the top of my head at all what the fuck was in The Social Contract it's, beyond it, the basics. It's basically like, we live in a fucking society. Have some shame. Right. like that. But if you look into it, like, also, I, I went back and, you know, flipped through some things to try and refresh my memory. He's also advocating, in the end, for much smaller societies. Mm-hmm. Like, he's very much a small local government <laughs> Like, that's what he's... He thought the French state was too large to be successful. The French state, yeah. Which yeah. was, at the time, not huge. I mean, I guess yeah. autocratic, but sure. But he starts off, he's talking about Rousseau, and he takes some block quote, like, literally, of half page or more of uh, Rousseau in block quotes, and it's just where Rousseau is writing about how equality crafts yeah, our society. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't contextualize it. It says, no. basically says, there are two types of equality, one's, one's physical and one's... Um, like privilege level right like the the uh, like moral and political inequality um and yeah doesn't really refute anything he said and then russo's no, like hey the- we should we should try to move towards a more equal society <laughs> and then it's literally that comic of like 
um that i i forget who did the comments Matt, someone burns i think but it's just like tweeting from an iphone like we should try and improve society and yet you tweet that from an iphone <laughs> like is his his literal only critique is he says how will we know when the legitimate institution has been achieved beyond the theoretical construct Rousseau does not tell us like, yeah okay. that's all he says Literally, that one sentence is an entire rebuttal to the giant block quote yeah. from Rousseau that he put out. Rousseau doesn't give us the date that he wants this <laughs> to happen by. So, you know, all that, the whole social construct goes out the window. Yeah. And then he goes into Hegel. and Which uh, I Hegel's do not think idea... he understands Hegel at all. I'm well, I don't think he sure understands he Hegel. Read... Also, I... Okay, first of all, I don't understand Hegel. No, so let's... no. but <laughs> the fact that he thinks anyone agrees with Hegel's idea of the state, mm. that's the part that I think is a... Because Hegel, Hegel had a weird idea of the state. Hegel was like, the state is everything. <laughs> Hegel was a weird motherfucker. Um, and I don't know of anyone who really takes Hegel seriously as a political philosopher... Like, you know, I took a handful of political philosophy classes, because you have to, in political science, and we never read Hegel. Like, maybe somebody threw out the name Hegel once, but we never read it, because nobody thinks that matters. Like, And then I, again, I just don't. Again, his his refutation is, how do we know when we've reached the final end beyond the theoretical construct? Hegel does not tell us. No, yes! he doesn't, because it's fucking diagnostic. It's not prescriptive. Like... Yep, yep. And then, of course, we get to Marx. Of course. And, of course, he gives the, the most page space, I think, to Marx of, as he, of the three I mean, of those. Fair enough, as a political philosopher. Fair enough, absolutely. And he says, quote, Marx argues that not only are the proletarian slaves of the bourgeois class and the bourgeois state, they are daily and hourly enslaved by the machine, by the overseer, and above all, the individual bourgeois manufacturer himself. That's a quote from Marx. And then he mm -hmm. says, Consequently, the proletariat's fate is at a dead end. Unless, of course, he adopts the revolution prescribed by Marx. It is the only way out. Or okay. Benedict. So or I Benedict. Would... Go ahead. As we learned from Glenn Beck, the other way out is uh, gradual, mild social democracy. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, again, no refutation. I would choose different language to Marx now. Uh, mm -hmm. But like, is it wrong? Like, is what he's is the thrust of what Marx's saying there? Wrong? I don't even think there are actual hardcore Marxists out there who would say that Marx got everything right. No, like, I, no, no. I, of course, because he didn't. that's he's just not, not how God, scholarship like, works. Yeah, exactly. Like that's how religion works. Like one thing, one guy wrote a thing a long time ago, and that's perfect and will never be challenged. Mm -hmm. That's not scholarship. That's definitely not uh, you know Marxism, which is an atheist ideology. Mm -hmm. Like. That's that's religion, bro. That's what you're talking about. My my favorite bit about all of this, though, is he does all this long critique, and then he goes, "How do we know when we, he tries to do the trifecta, right? He because yeah. he's done it, and he's done it for Hegel Marx and Rousseau. Marx does not tell well, us. Well, he says, "How do we know when we've reached the workers' paradise beyond a theoretical construct?" Marx does not tell us. I feel like Marx is fairly prescriptive. Like out of the three, yeah. like he does kind of tell us, like very much so compared to what he's going to spend the rest of this chapter talking about, which is all of these sociologists who wrote like one of those compilation books uh or like you know like an edited volume of articles that have been written uh talking like compared to them marx is very there you don't get marx much more prescriptive than workers of the yeah, world exactly. unite <laughs> continuing however he says quote 
Moreover, the paradise each promises once the revolution succeeds in dissolving the status quo and existing state fails to move beyond the point of a centralized police state in which the individual is indeed expendable and the masses are compelled to serve the purposes of the party or individuals in charge of that state. Examples of such states include China, North Korea, mm. Venezuela, Cuba, etc. That was jarring to me. Turn. Yeah, hard The turn. fact that he ended that with examples <laughs> of such states in like a fucking seventh grade yeah. essay. And also the, the fact that he ends with and so on, basically like and so on and so forth. <laughs> <laughs> you know the rest. <laughs> also, I mean... Marxism very explicitly does uh, envision moving beyond the centralized police state. Yeah, again, prescriptively, state. yes. <laughs> yeah, like, that's kind of the whole point of moving beyond it. Anyways, he goes on, and now he wants to talk about Eric Hoffer. Yeah, um, this was a bit boring, honestly, I found. It was very boring because Eric Hoffer is actually an interesting dude who had some interesting thoughts, and he's just trying to take it out of context mm-hmm. uh, and write some stuff that just, you know, fills what Levin is trying to put forward here. He says about it, quote, Moreover, most mass movements are angry and gloomy movements, hostile towards well-adjusted, happy, and successful individuals, which every time he does that, and he's done it multiple times now, I just, I see him sobbing in a chair going, I'm happy! I'm well-adjusted! I'm also, successful! N- not my, You're not! Not my, experience You're not. Of, not my experience of mass movements at all, by the way. No. It's like... No! Like, I've been at multiple of the women's marches in Washington, D.C. during the Trump years, mm-hmm. and they were, you know, there were definitely people who were upset about what was happening. But people being together, they were incredibly happy. Supportive, to see the happy, that was yeah, going exactly. on, and it was outstanding. Yeah, it's just. But he continues, quote: "They're literally again, built on solidarity, like absolutely." Again, this is evident in the Antifa and BLM movements, among others. Hoffer observed that, quote. Not only does a mass movement depict the present as mean and miserable, it deliberately makes it so. Make America great again! Mm-hmm. God damn it! Every time, every goddamn time. Skipping forward a little ways, he says, quote, Indeed, there is a kind of psychotic pleasure and excitement in wrecking the present-day society, including, if not especially one as free, humane, tolerant, and virtuous as ours. Again. 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 Quote, what surprises one when listening to the frustrated, and this is a quote he's quoting Hoffer. Hoffer yeah. uh, when listening to the frustrated as they decry the present and all its works, wrote Hoffer, is the enormous joy they derive from doing so. Such delight cannot come from the mere venting of a grievance. Dot, 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 dot. He does four dots, which is not how you do ellipses. No. By expatiating upon the incurable baseness and vileness of the times, the frustrated soften their feelings of failure and isolation. Dot, 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 dot. Thus, God, by deprecating oh, the present. that. That's so annoying. Why thus, by deprecating the present, they acquire a vague sense of equality. And so, you know how I am. When I see a quote like that, I start suspecting bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, I went, and so this book is not available for free online, the Eric Hoffer book. Not available for free online as a PDF, which is usually what I hope is out there so I can go look up these quotes. But a bunch of people have apparently thought this particular quote from Hoffer's book was good enough to put up on, like, those quote websites. Okay. The problem is that, like, you know, if you go to one of those sites, there's like three versions of the same quote written with mm. different phrasing because people fucking suck. Uh, so memory, I don't people's know. People's memories suck. But yeah. I did look into this book a little bit, and it apparently was a pretty important book that he wrote. Uh, and people uh, thought it was is quite um, revelatory for the time. It was written back in the 1950s, by the way. Uh, and he was not, as I think Levin would like to pretend, just writing about violent left-wing movements. Actually, as a matter of fact, uh, Hoffer was writing pretty explicitly about all types of mass movements, uh, nationalist movements, 
<laughs> make America great again. Mm. Uh, religious movements, <laughs> make America great again. And, yes, some leftist revolutionary ideologies. But he was writing about all of them, and to my ears, the paragraph that we're talking about, excor excoriating the present, deprecating the present, um, that all reads very much like what you would hear more from a nationalist, Fascist, religious yeah. mass movement than you would hear from a revolutionary mm -hmm. one. Just... I don't know, man. Um, sort of sticks out in my mind. That's what it seems to be for me. But he continues, quote, Nonetheless, as Hoffer points out, and as Rousseau, Hegel, and Marx advocated, the radical... And this is so many goddamn brackets that he's inserting words in here. Yeah. The radical has a passionate faith in the infinite perfectibility of human nature. Skipping down a little ways. And of course, brainwashing and idolatry to the cause are the lifeblood of mass movements. For example, when presented with statistical evidence that law enforcement is not statistically racist, <laughs> is the one believer. Show me it. Show me it. <laughs> you know what? I think he does believe that he is presented. And I can guess what he's presented. He's probably on his show said, you know, more white people get shot by cops every yeah. year than black people. He's that he probably thinks that that's the statistical evidence. For sure. Forgetting that it's per capita that matters. Um, that shows that cops actually aren't racist. But he continues. Uh, that law enforcement are not systematically racist. It is the true believer's ability to shut his eyes and stop his ears to facts that do not deserve to be either seen or heard, which is the source of his unequaled fortitude and constancy. He cannot be frightened by danger, nor disheartened by obstacles, nor baffled by contradictions, because he denies their existence. And to be fair, um, that is well written because it's a Hoffer quote, not because Levin wrote. Yeah. That is... <laughs> That prose flows much better than what we've gotten from Levin throughout uh -huh. this book. But yeah, man, it's all about brainwashing and ideology and idolatry. And, and when Levin presents all these great statistics all the time, wonderful statistics he's putting out there, the best the statistics, best. <laughs> um, they just won't believe them because they're, you know, they've been brainwashed and they've been convinced that they, they can't, they shouldn't listen. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. He continues... Quote, it is obvious that in order to be effective, a doctrine must not be understood, but has rather to be believed in. Again, this is a Hoffer quote. The devout are always urged to seek the absolute truth with their hearts and not their minds. And I just listed on the side of the page, QAnon, vaccine stats, yep. election results, uh, COVID deaths. Yeah, uh, I just vibes, I, strictly vibes in mass. I movements. have a list. Like, I have a whole list on the side of this page of things. And then he says, continuing down a little bit lower. When the fanatic is confronted with facts, statistics, history, experience, ethics, Kevin, faith, I, I have nothing to say beyond I know you are, but what am I at this point to this? So we need to move on to the next bit where he stops I doing. No, I just I I wanted to point out how many times he hammers that we're bringing the facts. Yeah, and this is again from the Franklin School guy. The Franklin School guy is talking yeah. about how hard he's bringing the facts, and nobody is. wants to believe him. Of course he is. Yeah. But next, uh, we got a George Soros drop. Hashtag Soros. By the way, did I mention my George Soros candle? Not on the show, but you did. I don't think Twitter. I mentioned it on the show. Yes, uh, I got a candle sent to me by someone. Uh, let's call them an ex of the show, um, which uh, uh, it says on the front, uh, this candle was bought by George Soros. Uh, I think it says paid George for. Soros bought paid it. For it's by in the other room, so I'm not going like to go for it. Yeah, this candle was paid for by George Soros. Um, that person just understands me so well, uh, and I thought that was wonderful. So that's that's probably the greatest gift I've, I've received in a long time. Mm -hmm. Anyways, yeah, we get a George Soros drop where he says, quote, the fanatic comes from all walks of life and all backgrounds. For example, 
multi-billionaire George Soros pours enormous sums of money mm-hmm. into radical causes and groups. He does and- He does go on to say, though, or has already said, maybe when we missed it, is that, like, everyone everyone who joins these mass movements is, like, depressed and downtrodden. <laughs> and But then he's like, here he's like, yeah, George Soros funds it, and also, like, LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick. And, like, are these the, like, down, the depressed and downtrodden, like, whose society is not working for? Is that what you're Yeah, talking? George Soros likes to talk about how fun it is to uh, play around with uh, fascist dictatorships. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's having a good time. He's not depressed. Uh, also, the source he's citing there, because he does have footnotes in this book, um, and I should mention that just, like, probably more than any book we've gotten before, this one has, like, bad citations. Like, He's citing for that a PJ Media article. Mm. PJ Media, I don't think we've ever talked about on this show, but it's it's a blog. It's a far-right blog is all it is. So that's like, we're, we're getting some bad shit in this book. But yeah, we got the George Soros drop, which I did want to highlight just because, you know, it's a, it's a tie-through to all our stuff. And then he says, professional athletes such as Colin Kaepernick yeah, and go. LeBron James are vociferous vilifiers and disparagers of American society. Many college and university professors are purveyors of revisionist American history and radical anti-American ideologies. College and university students from middle class and wealthy families, read White, are increasingly militant opponents of the civil society. Mm -hmm. And of course, various communities are ever more radicalized by racial, economic, educational, and other distinctions and disparities. Wait, you're admitting they exist? Kind of of, uh, undermines his only people who society has forgotten about. Join these yeah. mass movements, doesn't it? Like, there's a paragraph that completely contradicts everything he said about mass movements. I mean, also, it's just a list of who the enemies yeah, are. Yeah, no, right? that's true. That's Colin true. Kaepernick, liberal, LeBron James, yeah. college professors, uh, liberal, college students. upper middle class families. Yep, yeah, college students, and then, you know, um, minorities. Mm-hmm. It was like, that, if I was reading that last sentence, that's yeah. what he's saying, right? That's what he's saying. It's... <laughs> goddamn weird but then he says a paragraph this paragraph has far more meaning to me than it does to anyone else i'm sure but we'll go through it it says quote it leads to scapegoating balkanization violence and its more aggressive form ethnic cleansing more broadly and simultaneously this hatred seeks to malign debase debauch and ultimately topple the status quo and the civil society m dash mm-hmm. for example the american founding Parent that this this makes no sense. No sense. This, Absolutely. This is no an sense. utter nonsense is, end of this sentence. Yeah. The 1619 project, which is addressed addressed in chapter four, the Constitution, capitalism, law enforcement, etc. What the fuck are you saying? I think he he means. Are those examples of the civil society? The mm, hatred seems to yeah de- 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 malign, debased, debauch. The American Topple founding. the status quo and the civil society, M-dash, for example, the American, American founding. founding. So he's saying those are the things that are trying to be toppled, and the 1619 Project is trying to topple the American no founding. I, yeah, no, that just it doesn't no make sense. any fucking sense. Make, but also, also, I like that he only gives one example. He's like, ah, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know the rest. Books are hard to write. Uh, but the ethnic cleansing line in there stood out to me um, so much because I am familiar with Alex Jones screaming about how they're going to start a race war. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm used to that. And Mark Levin, on the spectrum of figures that we've read and gone over, he is the closest of the radio talk show hosts that we've done to, <laughs> we've done multiple at this point, yep. to Alex Jones. 
um, he is the closest to that sphere of influence. And he is very much, uh, especially when we get to some of the stuff a little bit later, parroting Alex Jones' talking points. That's what he does. Um, so when I read ethnic cleansing there, I read him uh, saying, mm, I don't want to write down the words race war. I don't want to write that down. I'd rather go with something else uh, that can be mistaken for something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's uh, just weird. Just weird. So um, he goes on a little bit more a Hoffer. Uh, he talks about how great uh, the total fucking monster Hannah Arendt is, um, who, again, is a fucking racist monster. Uh, she's a piece of shit. And then he gets into what's going to be the rest of this chapter, which is social movement theory, um, which was not necessary whatsoever to this chapter. No. I, I, I don't get the point, to be honest. I, he thinks he's making a point here, but he's just putting out, as you said, better arguments by other people? Yeah. That's all he's doing. Yeah, and like, not, not refuting them or even engaging with them. Yeah, not even. So, again, he's talking about mass movements, and he says, quote, Unbeknownst to most, this subject, loosely called social movement theory among academics, is widely analyzed, debated, taught, and promoted by the professoriate throughout the nation's colleges and and universities. Moreover, revolution and mass movements are frequently romanticized and glamorized as righteous and irreproachable responses to an oppressive, inequitable, unjust, racist, and immoral society. Of course, this matters greatly because of the effect that education on the college campus and communication through formal textbooks and scholarly essays, M-dash, which too often take the form of indoctrination and brainwashing, have on the ideas that saturate and engulf not just students, but the culture and society, and oh my god, this sentence will not end! (sighs) But also, that was the point where I noticed that this chapter, and this book, this is the most openly pro-status quo thing I have ever read. Like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That's something that in particular stuck out to me throughout this chapter. Oh my god, he's not arguing for anything better. He's yeah. not actually arguing Republicans have better ideas, we should move forward and do this, that, and the other. He's actually arguing we should not change anything because it's already perfect. That's astonishing to me. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what we've said. I mean, we we implied that that's what they think, right? So I mean, but but it's crazy to see it on the page. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I don't get it. It's very much standing athwart history, yelling stop. It just very much yeah. is. So the majority of the rest of this chapter is him going into this book called Frontiers in Social Movement Theory, which was written in 1992. Yes, for this 2021 book, he is going back to a 1992 sociology compilation of essays mm-hmm. um, by people who n- no one cares about. like Or has heard of, really. Like, no, beyond very like has. intrinsically, yeah. He goes into these people, and they're, all these people are just writing about, and again, this is something we texted about last night, but for the most part, like, scholarly writing is descriptive, not prescriptive. Yeah. He doesn't understand that. Yeah. And also, in the few points where he puts in quotes that are prescriptive, like, those apply equally to his movement as well as, you know, good movements, like mm-hmm. the civil rights movement. And for the most part, that's what these people were writing about. Like, they were writing about civil rights movement. Yep. They were writing about women's rights. They were writing about the gay rights movement. That's what these scholars, if you go and look at their essays, that's what their subjects mm-hmm. were. And that's what they were, you know, they have a framework that they're writing about. This is how this worked in X time period, right? That's what they're writing about. And he is... By claiming all these people are evil and bad and wrong, 
sort of implicitly saying that, you know, we shouldn't have had a civil rights movement because he's against mass movements for their own sake of being against mass movements. I don't know. That's how I read it because I've never heard him say anything pro-civil rights. No. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I was I I was just looking into uh, Hannah Arendt because you said that she was a piece of shit. Fucking I monster. I didn't know that, so I, yeah, uh, yep, 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 yep. Okay, had an affair with a Nazi. Um, really racist stuff she said about the civil rights movement. Really racist stuff she said about non-white Israelis uh, when she was covering the trial of uh, I don't remember which Nazi. I think it was Eichmann. Eichmann she was covering yeah, the trial yeah. of. Yeah, she's a fucking monster. Uh, she's a horrible goddamn person. So fuck her. Fuck her all the way. Skipping forward a ways because I'm uh, I really don't want to go through all this bullshit about yep, this fucking fair. sociology compilation that he was talking about. Uh, we get and, and you know like we talked about it. Uh, pl- I think like you and I texted about it a, a bit the other night. And it's really just like he doesn't understand what these people are saying or no. why they are saying it. But he does in some points when he's critiquing what they're saying, again, about the civil rights movement, he says, quote, Ultimately, these arguments for collective identity, collective beliefs, and class consciousness in support of mass movements wittingly or otherwise have a Marxist formulation and form the basis not only for peaceful protests, but violence, riots, and revolution of the sort we have seen in our cities and towns with the likes of Antifa, BLM, and other violent radical groups, which Benedict is the same line you and I are familiar with hearing from the John Birch Society mm-hmm. yep, regarding the civil yep. rights movement. Exactly. Just the exact same thing. There's nothing Always the different. Same. There's and nothing I, new here. It's, I mean, it's, well, he, yeah. he sort of also, I do want to point out that he sort of just walks over pretending he has proven that all mass movements have Marxist foundations, which just because he has said that these professors are Marxist, these professors are talking about mass movements, therefore mass movements are Marxist. Mm-hmm. Like, that's basically how he's gotten from A to B here. And that's fucking nonsense. Yeah, it's, it is. Uh, yeah, exactly. But it's, then he it got It would to, not pass the LSAT. Yeah. Then he got to... <laughs> then he got to the point of the chapter that enraged me more than anything else. And this is where we were... I think this is the last thing we're talking about in this chapter. We are talking about Francis Fox Piven mm. and Richard A. Cloward, mm. which he will repeatedly, throughout this chapter order when he lists their names piven and cloward no cloud and piven is such a better cloward and piven 100,000 fucking percent because benedict every right-wing conspiracy theorist nut job know nothing when they bring these two people up which they always do to put out this conspiracy theory that this is what the dems have or did or are doing always says Cloward and Piven because it does roll off the tongue better, which is more proof to me that Mark Levin had never heard of these two people before he started reading this book or writing this book. But Cloward and Piven, if you don't know, were two um, not very influential uh, sociology professors who wrote an essay in The Nation in 1966 arguing basically there's a lot of people out there who could get government benefits who just haven't applied or aren't getting them. We should get them all to apply so the system is overwhelmed and the government is forced to pass laws making things better. Yeah. that That's basically what they were arguing for. And they were arguing for like a uh, 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 standard income uh uh, why am I blanking on what that's called at the moment? Universal uh, basic income. Universal basic yeah. income, basically what they're arguing for. Uh, of course, they were not successful and that never happened. But 
two weirdo professors wrote a thing in the nation in the 60s, so we're going to have to talk about it in right-wing sure. media forever. Yeah, sure. Well, no, nothing else happened in the 60s, obviously. That were, no, no, no. Man, why would we want to talk about the 60s? There were no water hoses or dogs yeah. in the 60s. That did not happen. Uh, jingly keys, pay no attention to what's happening over here. Mm-hmm. But yes, he sort of goes through and uses Cloward and Piven um, to argue that, you know, the blacks are loyal to the Democratic Party because of welfare is like, if you take what he's saying, that that's what he's saying. That's what he's arguing here. It's what he's sort of using Cloward and Piven to argue, which is not even what Cloward and Piven were saying in their article. Like, they did say that, like, well, the Democrats are more likely to actually do this and listen to us because of who their constituencies are. But that they weren't, like, putting forward what Levin is pretending was put forward here, which is the Democrats are going to do this so that all the minorities will vote for them forever because, you know, that's a racist ideology that Levin very much <laughs> holds. Um, and that Cloward and Piven actually were, you know, whether they were uh, right or wrong, were well-intentioned people who wanted to help. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Fucking bullshit. But he says, quote, the national democratic leadership, however, is alert to the importance of the urban, and this is, a, I believe, a quote from Cloward and Piven, uh, is alert to the importance of the urban Negro vote, especially in national contests where the loyalty of other urban groups is weakening. Indeed, many of the legislative reforms of the Great Society can be understood as efforts, however feeble, to reinforce the allegiance of growing ghetto constituencies to the national democratic administration. It, and like like I said, like their argument was that's why the Democrats of the party, we can get to listen to us on mm-hmm. this. He says next, quote, Indeed, today, the allegiance of the black community to the Democratic Party is overwhelming, and a similar strategy is playing out with respect to the Hispanic and Asian communities. Okay. So, I'm not lying. He's just saying Democrats are buying the minorities with welfare. That's that's yeah, what Levin I mean, is arguing. Did that, I, well, and that was also the Reagan argument, right? Pretty much. Sure. Like, yeah. There's, there's no. a straight line from Reagan to Levin there. It's what every fucking right-wing hack racist says uh, to discredit the agency of minorities and who they choose to vote for and the fact that, you know, the Republican Party just hates them. I don't know what the fuck to say. He continues, quote, They declared that poor people win mainly when they mobilize in disruptive protests for for the obvious reason that they lack the resources to exert influence in conventional ways, such as forming organizations, petitioning, lobbying, influencing the media, buying politicians. Again, is that wrong? Like Just true. Yeah. Just correct. (laughs) Just fucking correct. Um, By disruptive protests, we mean acts such as incendiarism, riots, sit-ins, and other forms of civil disobedience, great surges in demands for relief benefits, rent strikes, wildcat strikes, or obstructing production on assembly lines. Yeah, that's that's how people without political influence gain political influence. Yes, that is correct. But then says that the goal is to force the weakening of the system, or as they call it, the regime. Make Also, that's what you call it, Mark. Yeah, Uh, that's what Lauren Boebert called it. When, When you're not control of it that's very much what yeah. your side calls it making it vulnerable to the movement's demands like okay yes. you've taken what was a very descriptive and uh correct description of the way things work and turned it into something malicious and evil and creepy yeah. in the way that you write it so yeah it's just it's very weird it's very strange there's all these tinges of racism underneath what he's writing and i mean that mark is a racist uh, underneath what he's writing, mm. and I just can't get over the fact that he keeps saying Piven and Cloward. <laughs> so we're going to skip forward to page 37, where he okay. says, quote, 
Indeed, the coronavirus pandemic and the shutting down of our economy, schools, and social activities, and the collective economic and psychological effects on our society created an environment ripe for exploitation. while Trump was president and Republicans held the Senate, like... Yeah, yeah. And that, and also, he's almost sort of pretending that it was intentional. Yeah. Is the way it reads. Uh, like, amid oh, a they pandemic. Did they did, well, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I haven't heard him do it, but I wouldn't be surprised if Mark had pushed the, the coronavirus as a engineered bioweapon. Oh, bullshit. I'm sure. Wouldn't be surprised if he had. I haven't heard him say it, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and created an environment ripe for exploitation. And that exploitation has occurred both in the halls of power with far-reaching legislative and executive actions and in the streets where organized violence is becoming all too common. January 6th, motherfucker. Yeah. Can I tell uh, you my ne- my favorite bit about the next bit, which I, yeah, I yeah, absolutely do. love? Please do. So he says, having created conflict and strife, the movements must control the narrative, right? So, And then he says, ordinarily, political communication is dominated by political, media, p- political leaders and the mass media who together define the parameters of the universe mm-hmm. but then he goes on to say in the next chapter for example next paragraph sorry for example blm has succeeded hugely in controlling the narrative time and again violent confrontations with the police are said by the media <laughs> to be mostly peaceful pro- so would you say that it is still mark the media that. that controls the narrative that. yeah i do a close, yeah. close read sometimes. i did not even notice that i'm so glad you brought that up that's fantastic <laughs> Yeah, but then of course we know that it's it's the radical mass movements. They are they are in control. They control the, the narrative. They control. Where he the says, media. "Quote: For example, BLM has exceeded hugely in controlling the narrative. Time and again, violent confrontations with police are said by the media to be quote mostly peaceful protests. Yeah, there you go. Looting is all but ignored and certainly tolerated." Driving the narrative and creating new divisions are key ingredients in expanding and further empowering revolutionary movements. And again, like, no, you are, douchebag. Like, literally, these movements exist because your entire political program is dedicated to denying that the problem exists. Mm -hmm. Like, they have to do these things because you fucking deny the problem exists. And in fact, when you do take action... It's in furtherance of further oppressing these people. Like, that's what you want. It's it's gross, man. It's gross. Mm-hmm. But continuing almost to the last pages now. Quote, Once again, form and activate a violent mob, create societal fissures, attack racial and economic distinctions, undermine civic life and social associations, etc. In other words, use the freedom secured by the Constitution to attack that which the Constitution is intended to protect particularly ready for unrest, Piven posits, are the large cities with their leftist mayors. Indeed, events have rolled out as Piven encouraged, with Antifa and BLM followers, among others, rioting and the left-wing Democratic mayors who run these cities tolerating This is interesting to me in the context of all the school board stuff, which is Mm, like the most craven example of this. Also in in the context of on what fucking reality do you think that it was tolerated? Like, hundreds yeah, of protesters exactly. were, were arrested. When in fucking Portland, you have the fucking neo-Nazi police department brutalizing protesters. Like, and uh, you want to talk about left-wing cities? It's hard to get it's to a leftist, further left-wing leftist city than wing city that exists. Yeah. It's really hard. Also, like, we always bring this up whenever somebody does this. Point to a right-wing city for me. Like, yeah, exactly. There's two. I think uh, I think we've gone over Jacksonville, before. One, I think is the Jacksonville, biggest. Florida yeah. is is like one that has a Republican mayor and a city council, and there's like like that's the largest one. And okay, you got Jacksonville. Nobody is swarming to move to Jacksonville. It's like yeah, man, just just get over it. But yeah, 
Um, then, you know, what's weird is immediately after that, he has a quote from Piven, which is claiming that, you know, in Piven's eyes, center-left mayors preside over cities like New York, Los Angeles, Boston, Seattle, and San Francisco. And so, you know, again, it's another one of those cases of these people have never met a real leftist, but then they read what a real leftist says, mm-hmm. and then they're going to ignore it. They're going to freak and, out. And, yeah. and reprint it in their book, and then ignore it and pretend as though they don't know what real leftists think. Yeah. Like, there you go. Like, uh, yeah. the real leftists, they fucking hate London Breed, the San Francisco mayor. They, yeah. they fucking hate London Breed. Yeah, me, me, uh, talk to a real leftist, yeah. And not yeah, a real like, fucking fan. Eric Adams, like, ooh. Hey, dude, uh, uh, the real leftists, they hate Pelosi more than you do. Yeah. <laughs> like... Jesus Christ. Then we get to the final page of the chapter, and it reads, I'm going to have to just read all of it, because this is this okay. fucking nuts. Okay. It says, quote, As if addressing Piven and the literally hundreds of like-minded revolutionaries populating our college and university facilities, the late philosopher and professor Alan Bloom, Bloom wrote in his 1987 book, The Closing of the American Mind, which, fun fact, I just bought a few weeks ago, because... Oh, I you know I really do read these things on my own time, even not on this show. I'm I'm reading right wing propaganda, um, and it came across my desk. I think I, I it was mentioned somewhere else, and I thought I wanted to get it. But quote: Every educational system has a moral goal that it tries to attain, and that informs its curriculum. It wants to produce a certain kind of human being. This intention is more or less explicit, more or less a result of reflection, but even the neutral subjects, like reading and writing and arithmetic, take their place in a vision of the educated person. Dot, 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 dot. Democratic education, dot, 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 this time. Oh, yeah, Only okay. three dots. Uh, wants Do you and think needs. he's doing ellipsis and then a full stop? Do you think that's what I he's doing? I don't know what the fuck he's doing. I don't know wants and needs to produce men and women who are supportive of a democratic regime. Bloom warned that, quote, we have a culture in which to root education, but we have begun to undermine it. The idealism of the American founding has been explained away as mythical, selfishly motivated, and racist, and so our culture has been devalued. Nobody believes that the old books do, or even could, contain the truth, dot, 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 dot. Tradition has become superfluous. Sure. And Alan Bloom and that book, and I've read uh, maybe a chapter of it so far, um, basically his thrust is, nobody reads the classics anymore. They're all relativists. Why doesn't anyone talk to me? <laughs> He's just whining about education not being the way it was in the fucking 1940s. Uh-huh. It's, yeah. But the final paragraph of this chapter, Benedict, which I will read in its entirety, is, sure. quote, Indeed, America's college and university faculties have turned their classrooms into breeding grounds. Mm, Breeding mobs. For resistance, rebellion, and revolution against American society, as well as receptors for Marxist or Marxist-like indoctrination and propaganda. That's a weird thing to me to see him throw in because it's an acknowledgement that not everything that shares ideas with Marxism is Marxism. Like, the idea of, of, you know, class mattering is not necessarily a Marxist concept. No. It's one that's nor, central to Marxism. Nor historical materialism, nor dialect, d- sure, dialecticals. But, yeah. but you can think that class matters and not be a Marxist. Yes. Like, it's the reason why when I was being grown up, the things my parents always said when I did something that was gross was, that has no class. You're showing no class. Yeah. Like, they, they, they think it matters. Continuing. 
academic freedom exists first and foremost for the militant professors, and the competition of ideas is mostly a quaint concept of what higher education used to be and should be. Benedict, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, right? We gotta. Like, how does that compare to what Buckley actually believed about academic freedom. Oh, you know, Kevin, you know the answer to that. And our listeners know the answer to that. Well, it's that Buckley wanted to censor everyone who didn't agree with him. Well, it's that Buckley was honest that he wanted to censor everyone who didn't yeah, agree with him. that's true. I have no doubt that Levin feels the exact same, but is still, he, again, like I said, behind the times, there's there's a new strain. It's behind with like Buckley. The far, <laughs> with like the far right, with like the fucking Groiper kids, the F- Nicholas Fuentes, is, there's a new strain that is re-emerging Following in that Buckley mold, which is openly saying we don't believe in free speech, we think that leftists should be not allowed to speak, that anyone who's you know to the left of fucking William F. Buckley shouldn't be allowed to speak on college campuses. Mm-hmm. There is a new strain. Levin, again, behind the times, as I've said, still playing the old free speech games we're familiar with from 2015, 2016, when that was the big uh, crying point. It was free speech! Why won't you let Richard Spencer come speak on your yeah, college yeah, campus? Yeah. That's what it is. Continuing. But Marxism is not about free speech and debate. It is about domination, repression, indoctrination, conformity, and compliance. If you're into it, I mean, it's up to you. The existing society and culture... You gotta buy a lot of leather, it's expensive. (laughs) Uh, The existing society and culture and those who prosper within it, intellectually, spiritually, and economically, as well as those who defend it, must be denounced and defamed. Disillusion with the status quo is key. Marxism presents a new faith, if you will. Mm. Sounds like he's going to call Marxism a religion in future chapters. Which promises a new and better society for which a passion, if not obsession, is inculcated in future generations despite its trail of mass death, enslavement, and impoverishment. End of chapter two of American Marxism by Mark Levin. Coming up next week, Chapter 3, Hate America, Inc. Can't wait. Not next week. It's going to be after. a lot of fun. I think it's just going to be about BLM. I think it's just going to be about BLM. Probably, yeah. I don't know. Probably. I haven't read it yet, but I think it's got to just be about BLM. It's like Anyways, Benedict, that was fun. No. Nope. Um, That's I'm where like, you're wrong. I, I really love this one. No, I do, too. I, I do, too. I think it's outstanding, and there's just so much crazy in here. And I think if you imagine uh, Mark Levin yelling, all the words of this book. Yeah, I had to stop doing the impression because it hurt my throat, but yeah. Go ahead! (laughs) (laughs) Just makes it so much more enjoyable. Anyways, Benedict, that's it. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of all our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon, Utah Outcast, Pause, Brent Lee, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Charles Trulier, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Lisa, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, C. David, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, A.J. Brantley, Taro Tacanon, Skeptical Seventh, and Balls Watterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, help me! Goodbye. Bye.
Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.